Welcome to Daily Drive. For Tuesday, October 18th, 2022, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Hyundai and Kia brace for a $2 billion hit. Intel drastically lowers mobilized IPO valuation. And the Polestar 3 gets a lift from Volvo's U.S. factory. Plus, the EU has made intelligent speed assistance technology mandatory. We'll hear from HERE Technologies Director of Product Management, Philip Hubertus, about the challenges that creates for automakers. There is certain test criteria that the OEMs need to pass in order to have a certificate that their vehicles are ISA ready. And without that, they cannot sell their cars any longer. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Hyundai and Kia say they expect to take a combined $2 billion earnings hit in the third quarter. The affiliated Korean automakers said in regulatory filings today that the costs include provisions related to recalls of their Theta GDI engines. The costs amount to more than half of Hyundai's estimated third quarter net profit and 77% of Kia's, according to Refinitiv data. The automakers said in a statement that the provisions were needed because of recent changes, including longer life cycles for used vehicles, lower scrap rates caused by the semiconductor shortage, as well as an underestimate of engine improvements. Hyundai and Kia recalled nearly 1.7 million vehicles in 2015 and 2017 in one of their biggest recalls in the U.S. At that time, they cited a problem with their Theta GDI engine that raised the risk of crashes. Intel's self-driving unit Mobileye says it's targeting a valuation of nearly $16 billion in its initial public offering. That's less than a third of what it had previously expected. The reduction comes as volatility in stock markets and rising interest rates dampen the appetite for new listings. Mobileye said in a regulatory filing today that it's offering 41 million shares of common stock priced between $18 and $20 per share. It aims to raise up to $820 million based on the top end of the proposed range of the listing. In April, sources told Reuters that the IPO could value Mobileye at as much as $50 billion. The move sets the stage for what is still expected to be one of the biggest technology listings of this year. Fisker is accelerating its search for a U.S. production site for the automaker's ocean crossover after the federal government ended electric car subsidies for EVs made outside North America. The company is considering a range of options, including buying a factory or extending its partnership with Magna International. CEO Henrik Fisker said yesterday at the Paris Auto Show that the EV startup is on track to start making the ocean at Magna's plant in Austria next month. And Swedish automaker Polestar could also soon ramp up its U.S. production through an arrangement at affiliate Volvo Cars plant in South Carolina. The Polestar 3 electric crossover will share a platform and safety technology with Volvo's U.S.-built next-generation EX90. The Polestar 3 will begin production at Volvo's plant in Chengdu, China in the middle of next year, but Auto Forecast Solutions says production at its Ridgeville, South Carolina factory is scheduled to start a year later. The 2.3 million square foot factory is an hour northwest of Charleston. Auto Forecast estimates it will build about 40,000 Polestar 3 crossovers in 2025. U.S. deliveries of the Polestar 3 will begin late next year. The model is expected to become the EV maker's volume leader 
with projected global sales of 77,000 vehicles in 2025. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, how much will Hyundai and Kia suffer from such a big hit? Yeah, you know, the recall is going to cost them a good chunk of their profits for the quarter. And, uh, and this is a company that's had some big recalls in the past, but it is kind of an interesting phenomenon in recent years. Instead of recalls being entirely negative, in some cases they can help to reinforce customer loyalty. It just gets people in the in the shop where maybe you can show them something new that they might like. So we'll see how they handle it and, and if they're able to uh, keep it from being such a steep negative. Interesting. Coming up, Here Technologies Director of Product Management talks about intelligent speed assistance technology and what automakers need to do to get it right. That's next on Daily Drive. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Intelligent speed assistance isn't a new technology. It's a system that automatically alerts drivers to the speed limit of any given road that they're traveling on. What is new this year is a European Union mandate that all new vehicles sold must include ISA technology. I recently spoke with Here Technologies Director of Product Management, Philip Hubertus. Here is partnering with automakers to implement ISA systems in their vehicles. I reached Hubertus in Frankfurt, Germany. Philip Hubertus, welcome to Daily Drive. Thanks, Jamie. Um, Here Technologies was started, if I remember right, by uh, was it BMW, Mercedes, and Audi. I always think of it as a, a mapping company first and foremost. Is, is that still accurate or, or has it evolved? So Here Technologies is actually a company that at its core is about, what, 35 years old? Uh, mm. And it was started or uh, one of the uh, in early investors in uh, Navtech, as it was called at the time, uh, was Philips because they started building a navigation system uh, for BMW uh, and they needed a map. And then uh, Nokia acquired us. So we uh, renamed from uh, Navtech to Nokia location. Um, what was it? Location services? Location? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> so quite a <laughs> few years like back. That. And then Nokia um, sold it off to, yes, to uh, Mercedes, to Audi and to BMW. But meanwhile, we have additional investors, uh, which are Conti Bosch, Pioneer, uh, Mitsubishi, the, the trading big trading company, not the mm. car brand, and also right. NGT. It's a powerhouse group. Yeah, it is. Uh, and global. Tell me about Intelligent Speed Assist. Where did that idea come from? So Intelligent Speed Assist is actually something that exists in cars for quite some time already. Uh, it is a system that reminds the drivers on what the actual legal speed limit is on any road that they're driving on. I personally drive cars that have that since many years. What's new is that in the European Union countries, uh, and also in Norway, Switzerland, and very likely soon in, in Israel, um, this is becoming a mandatory system in vehicles. And what that means is that it will be available in nearly all types of vehicles, in passenger cars, in small delivery vans, in trucks, in buses, 
So across the whole board. And the key goal of the European Union was to increase uh, the safety of any road user out there, right? because speeding is one of the key factors for accidents. And by displaying the speed limit at all times to the driver in the cluster, uh, you have a you know you have a data point, uh, and you can then better decide how fast you want to go. Uh, in addition to displaying the speed limit, uh, ISA must be combined with either some sort of a warning, it can be something like a beep tone, or it can be a flashing light, or you can also do a passive limitation, so the accelerator paddle will no longer accept the pressure of your foot if you've reached the speed limits. You can still override that, so you're still in full control. Uh, the ISA regulation itself uh, doesn't mandate any technology solution, uh, and it's a passive system. So if you want to go faster, you can still go faster. If you want to switch it off, you can switch it off, but it will reenact uh, itself whenever you turn the ignition. They aren't always connected with a cruise control uh, device. Sometimes it's just there to tell you what the speed limit is. Um, but some of the cars, I feel like I drove a Mercedes recently where uh, the speed, I was in a cruise control, the speed limit changed and it brought my vehicle, brought the vehicle speed down. And then when it changed again, it brought it back up to the, to the new limit. Is that, that's just an extra feature that some brands can choose to employ. Exactly. That's an additional feature. I would classify that more as a driver assistance feature uh, or ADAS feature, right? So that is something that you can choose to do as an OEM, but it is not the necessary minimum. I tell you, that made me uh, very unpopular on the uh, highways here in Detroit when, my, <laughs> when, the, when the car reacts to the speed limit because so many drivers do not respond to a, a changing speed limit or disregard a, a lower limit when they feel like the highway seems uh, more capable. Of course, I, I can understand that. But the, the whole point of ISA is to remind uh, drivers on how fast you are actually allowed to go. Uh, because very often, uh, or I would say probably all the time, the speed limits are put up because there's a reason, right? There is a higher degree of accidents on a certain stretch of road or something that, you know, uh, made uh, whoever is in charge uh, made the decision to lower the speed limit uh, to keep people safe. And that's really the key of the ISA regulation to keep people safer. Well, and like so many other automated driving technologies or driver assistance technologies, when you're, maybe if you're driving in your hometown, you're just going a mile or two, it doesn't matter so much. But when you're in an unfamiliar location, you know, you might not see all the traffic signs or it's really helpful if you're having to look for other road signs, other uh, navigation clues uh, to get have your car right in the dash informing you of the, the the necessary data you really need to have to drive safely. And here we actually did an, uh, an analysis of how many speed limits are signposted and how many are implicit or not signposted at all. Uh, and it's 60% across Europe of roads and kilometers where the speed limit is not actually signposted. And you know, here in Europe, you can you cross borders uh, seamlessly, right? So there's no border checkpoints anymore. You just drive on and voila, you're in France <laughs> when you live in Germany. Like <laughs> yeah, there is maybe a sign on the main motorways that informs you what the new speed limit regulations are when you enter a new country, but often on the smaller roads, there is no big sign. So you have to know. And it's sometimes tricky. In France, for example, when it rains, the speed limit is lower than when it doesn't on the motorways. <laughs> so you have to know these things. Um, 
And that's why in the here map, uh, we code the speed limits to every road segment. So to every small piece of road where um, uh, the speed limit changes or the speed limit applies, we have the speed limit coded. And that is really all the roads, right? Because every road has some sort of speed limit. Even the German Autobahn it is uh, unlimited in many areas. There's also very many areas where there are speed limits and you just have to know. And then if you're Indeed. driving a truck, for example, in Germany, then there is always a speed limit as well. So they can't go as fast as they want. Uh, and that's something that we also code. All the additional information that you need for the different vehicle types uh, or different conditions, like I said, in France, when it rains, there's a different speed limit. In the Netherlands, they've introduced uh, actually interesting, a lower speed limit during the day, but you can still go a little faster uh, during the night. So, Do you have to have rain sensors built in for the cars so that they can know when you're if you're in France and it's raining? So the regulation doesn't mandate that. The regulation basically says make sure that uh, you display the right speed limit. Uh, there is certain test criteria that the OEMs need to pass in order to have a certificate that their vehicles are ISA ready. And without that, they cannot sell their cars any longer. When it's a new model, that regulation already applies. So a new model that's been uh, introduced to market since July this year, uh, then it has to have an ISA solution already. And in July 2024, uh, so year after next in the summer, every newly registered car has to have an ISA solution. Are the speed limits all programmed into the maps? Um, some cars, I, it seems they're clearly they're reading with a camera and yeah. trying to pick up the signs, or especially when you have a, maybe a construction area where uh, the speed limit is not what it is the other you know, 50 weeks of the year. Is it a combination of cameras and maps? Or what, what are the biggest challenges? How do you work through those things? Yeah, so there are three key components to get uh, ISA right. It's the map data. Uh, that has all the speed limit coders on all the road segments. It's an electronic horizon, so a piece of software that reads from the map data and can look ahead of where the vehicle is going and provide speed limits that are outside of uh, sensor visibility. And then you need a camera sensor that looks out for signs and detects them and classifies them. And then you need something that merges this all together and displays uh, the correct speed limit of the driver. Why do you need these three things? Because a camera sensor as a standalone solution for ISA is not going to work. As I said earlier, across Europe, we have 60% of speed limits that are not even signposted, right? So there's nothing that you can actually read. Then the camera can be, can have challenges when it's trying to detect signs because, you know, leaves can overhang signs, uh, a big truck in front of you can make them badly visible, lightning condition, lighting conditions, weather can all be factors that make it hard uh, to detect the sign. We also use camera observations uh, for our map maintenance, and we know that there's also quite a few false positive observations. So signs that are out of context, that don't make sense. We see signs that are typically only found in inner cities and on motorways and vice versa. And, and that's okay, because the map gives us enough context to then correct these and make sense out of that. And that's actually what happens in the car as well. So the map is that additional reference and sensor that provides an additional piece of logic to then make sure that you are actually displaying the correct speed limit to the driver or applying it in your cruise control example. So one last question before I let you go, is there any 
sense of this technology being required in the U.S. market? Not that I know of, not that it is required. I think there was an article that I read that the government of the New York City uh, is thinking about introducing it to their cars, but mm. not to the mayor's car, because <laughs> <laughs> he can still go fast. But again, I mean, what I like about ISA personally is that it is really a comfort feature. I think I've, I've said this before when I drove up from Munich, you know, you always know what the speed limit is. I said it before, when we drive into France, which is just uh, an hour and 30 minutes from where I live here in Frankfurt, uh, you always know what the speed limits are. It's a comfort feature. Absolutely. And when you couple it with uh, an adaptive cruise control, it becomes something that's really cool because uh, it really helps you doing a relaxed drive. And a big step toward potentially uh, fully automated driving. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, that's my, my other hope that when consumers experience this and see how helpful it is and, and that they can trust that technology, that they will uh, trust the technology further in, you know, uh, letting go of the steering wheel or even taking the eyes off the road. All right. Philip Hubertus is Director of Product Management for Drive Assistance and Automated Driving Maps at Here Technologies. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on new vehicle technology, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Audi of America President Daniel Weisland. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.